this time, I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm going to be reading from a somewhat familiar passage this evening. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. John chapter 9. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. And as he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, that this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us that we could come here to worship you. We ask that you'll be with Mr. Mark Scratero as he brings this message to us. Um, We understand the misconception of the day that the blind man was blind because someone sinned. We ask that you'll be with us throughout tonight. ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, why do we suffer? Is it the result of random chance? Is it some sort of karmic payback? Are we at the mercy of some malevolent deity looking to squash a meaningless creation? Or can it be used for the redemptive purposes of a loving God for his covenant people? In our text this evening, Jesus and his disciples are presented with the suffering of a particular man. And the disciples want to place the blame somewhere. So a conversation ensues concerning sin, and a wonderful sign takes place. This encounter gets at the question, who or what is the cause of life's difficult providences? We are going to see that because Jesus Christ is the light of the world, we can trust him in all of life's hardships. And to do this this evening, we are going to be looking at three things. First, we're going to be looking at a problem perceived. Second, we're going to be looking at a purpose explained. And third, we are going to be looking at a procedure performed. Again, that's a problem perceived, a purpose explained, And third, a procedure performed. So with that, let's get started by taking a look at a problem perceived. So as we come to our text, we see our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his disciples passing by a man who has been blind from birth. Here in verse 1. Now this might appear to be a fairly basic statement at first, right? But let's think about this for a second. Blind from birth. This means that there was never a time when this man was able 
to see. It's not as if he saw things at one point and then boom, the light suddenly went out. His brain has never even used its neurological pathways for sight. He doesn't know how to see. This also means that this blindness was incurable by earthly means. Now parents, think of your own children. Would you not exhaust every option you had to find a cure for your child's debilitating condition? We also remember that that in these days, a child was his parents' insurance policy. He he was their 401k. He, He was their Roth IRA. This, this child would be the one to take care of the, his parents in their old age. So it's with this in mind now that we can see that this man who, who was born blind from birth never had sight, and he had no hope of ever gaining his sight. It wasn't going to happen. And upon seeing this man, we begin to see the gears and the heads of the disciples turn as they ask, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now the logic here is sound to a first century Jewish person. There there is clearly biblical connection between sin and suffering. For example, death enters the world when Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the fruit of the knowledge, uh, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil all the way back in Genesis 3. We also read about this nearly every Lord's Day when we look at the Ten Commandments. We see this in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Hear this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So God has promised here a generational retribution or or a generational just payback for the sins of the fathers unto the third and fourth generations. We see throughout the Bible, sin warrants punishment. This isn't just an Old Testament kind of thing either. For, for an, a New Testament example of this, we can turn to places such as Acts 5 with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property but held back some of the prophets for themselves. And they shorted the apostles in the church. And then they lied about it. We read that they were struck dead for lying to God. After all, all our, our God is a holy and just God as we learned about this morning. And being such, he cannot just let sin go on unpunished. It's contrary to his character. God would cease to be God if that were ever the case. Therefore, the disciples are thinking, surely this man or his parents must have done something to have warranted this blindness. They're thinking, surely this kind of thing isn't supposed to happen to good people. And we can do the same things today, can't we? In his commentary on the Gospel of John, John Calvin, that famous 16th century reformer, says that there are three ways that Christians commonly err concerning the sin and misfortunes of others. He says, first, we we are quick to see 
and condemn others with extreme bitterness. If our brother or sister falls on hard times, we assume it is God's judgment. But if it happens to us, it's just an unfortunate circumstance. Calvin exhorts us to look to our sin first. We often view the adversity, secondly, we often view the adversity that someone else is experiencing with, with an excessive severity. We ought not to turn these small offenses of others into large crimes while we justify our own sins and minimize the severity of our own actions. And last, he says we sometimes pronounce condemnation on people who are experiencing hardship. We should not think someone is sinning just just because he or she is called to bear a particular cross or experience a specific kind of hardship. So we, like these curious disciples, must not try to read God's book of providence too closely. There are things going on in this world that we just cannot understand this side of glory as finite human beings. We have to be mindful of, of this in our own interactions with other people as well. We're not to assume that that particular hardship that Larry is going through is because of some sin that hasn't been repented of. We can't turn to, to Sue and say, she's sick because she did such and such. We're not God. So we ought to be careful there. God may be at work doing something beautiful in these instances. So the question stands, did this guy sin in a way that warranted his blindness? If we're to think about this, it really gets to the heart of our problem with sin as the fallen children of Adam. This man has been blind from birth. That's not a whole lot of time to be corrupted by sin. This illustrates for us tonight perfectly the imputed guilt that has been placed upon all of us by Adam's first sin. The resulting death caused by that sin and the depth of our own human depravity and our total inability to do good unto God. That is to say, because of sin, we we are corrupt in our whole nature. That is to say, every part of us. And we're unable to do anything good unto God apart from the help of the Holy Spirit as regenerated Christians. Even from the womb, as Adam's posterity, we just cannot do it. So as Augustine said, in Adam's fall, sin we all. We are all fallen human beings in the need of a Savior. We all suffer from the consequences of the same affliction. Brothers and sisters, that affliction is sin. So as we continue, we hear these disciples saying, well, if it wasn't this guy's fault, did his parents sin? The Exodus passage that we just read tells us that that God punishes unto the third and fourth generation of those who hate him. Clearly this man is afflicted, so if he didn't sin, it must have been his parents, right? The disciples are sure that someone's sin is to blame for all of this. And isn't this where we often go when faced with the various trials of our life today. We think, what did I do to deserve this? Where did I go wrong? Maybe in our sadness we even cry out, is this, is this the result of someone else's actions? Am I, just, am I just the victim here? We have to put the blame somewhere, don't we? And this brings us to our second point this evening, 
a purpose explained. Jesus quickly responds to his disciples with a hearty neither. In verse 3, he says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, brothers and sisters, there is another reason for the hardships of this life. The display of the power and works of God. We serve a sovereign God who is working all things according to his good purposes. Now please note that Jesus is not correcting his disciples for seeing a correlation between uh, sin and suffering. God can and does visit people with afflictions when they disobey. We have the death of David and Bathsheba's first son in, in 2 Samuel 12. We have Mir- <coughs> excuse me, Miriam's leprosy for rebellion in Numbers 12. But he's showing them that there is another third option here. After all, sin will always lead to suffering, either in this life or the next, because sin cannot go unpunished before a holy God. Jesus is also not saying that this man or his family did not sin. He is merely stating that this particular man's blindness is not the result of anyone's particular sin, but exists that the works of God might be displayed in him. This blindness is is one of gospel significance because it reveals who Jesus Christ is. Verse 4 continues, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So so this commission is, is the reason why Jesus and his disciples are there in the first place. Remember that question that John the Baptist's disciples posed to Jesus in his subsequent reply? In Luke 7, I'll read it here for you. Luke 7, 18 through 23. John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is the one who has come to save sinners. Jesus is our mighty Savior. Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that those who believe in him would receive adoption as sons. Jesus had a job to do while he was here in the flesh, and he did it in our passage here this evening. This this is good news. Amen? But his earthly ministry was only for a time. As the second part of our verse points out, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus, the the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, knew his earthly work would end with his death on the cross. He knew that he would be crucified, that he would die, that he would be buried. He knew that he would be raised and ascend to heaven. On the third day, sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, making intercession for you and me even tonight. 
And he knew that his disciples would struggle with his absence. Which is why he speaks of sending the Holy Spirit later in chapters 14 through 16 of John's Gospel. And it is now that Jesus reiterates his I am statement from chapter 8 here in verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now brothers and sisters, we have to remember the importance of these I am statements. Think back to Exodus chapter 3 with Moses in the burning bush. God gives Moses his name in order to convince the Jewish people to leave Egypt for the promised land. And in verses 13 through 14 of chapter 3, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So boys and girls, what did God give as his covenant name to the people of Israel? I am, right? And what is Jesus saying in our passage this evening? I am the light of the world. So do you think Jesus is showing his disciples that he is God? You think so? Yeah, he is. Jesus is God. And here Jesus is repeating what John said in chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We also see this in the beginning of John's gospel. In in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. In chapter 1, verse 4. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 5. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 9. This is not just a miracle, but Jesus is providing a sign that shows that he is in fact the Messiah. Jesus is using a blind man to point out the continued spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. These religious leaders who who can't actually see anything as will be seen later in chapter 9 here. And Jesus is still the light of the world today. Just that he's working through the Holy Spirit due to him being physically in heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's a good thing that Jesus isn't down here with us right now because he is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father working on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Now maybe you're, you're going through a difficult time right now. Or, or maybe you're walking along someone who is. This purpose that Jesus is explaining to his disciples in our passage this evening is every bit as true for us this evening for you and I as it was for those disciples back then. We ought not to read God's book of providence or or speculate as, as to why something happened, is happening or will happen for that matter, carelessly. Sure, wisdom and discernment should be exercised in one's life, but we must know who we are and we must know who God is. The Mona Lisa doesn't turn to Da Vinci and tell him why he did what he did. The creator, God, in the case of our lives, is free to do as he wills. So we mustn't tear someone's life apart, either our own or someone else's, in flippant judgment because we can't connect the dots. God is in the process of writing his story of redemption, and he may be doing something beautiful in the difficult things 
of the lives of those closest to us. In in preparing for this sermon, I came across the testimony of a woman who, due to a misdiagnosis, was just devastated by polio in an age when polio was supposed to be cured. This left her to a childhood spent in hospitals with many painful surgeries. Years later, she also lost her infant son to a heart condition when when her son was taken off of a life-saving medicine by a substitute doctor who was unfamiliar with the situation. And the question she wrestled with throughout her life, just like the disciples here, was, Why, Lord? Why? She was haunted by it. She said that if she, she just had an explanation, then, then she could understand God's purposes in them. But, but we're not guaranteed that. She had to trust God and in, in to submit to His sovereignty. It was only in surrendering to His plan that a reason was provided. She didn't have to figure it out. And it didn't have to make sense because God is who He says He is. And He is working out His plan. She finishes, One day our faith will be as sight. And we will see all of God's glorious purposes in our trials. But for now, as we wait, we must trust him. There is always a why to our pain. We may never understand it in this life. But this we can know. As we surrender our questions to him, God will answer us with nothing less than himself. This is the lens through which we need to answer that phone call we never wanted at 3.30 in the morning. This is how we receive the news of that horrible diagnosis. This is how we are to handle the death of that loved one. As, as Christians, we take it to the cross of Christ, trusting that they are for his good purposes, that they are not in vain, and that they are displaying the works of God. You hear that, brothers and sisters? We know that God is sovereign over all things and that he is working all things together for his glory and for the good of his people. So that means none of your suffering is ever in vain. Isn't that a huge comfort? So just to recap where we've been so far this evening, we have have this problem of a man blind from birth. We have this this question of whose sin caused this condition. And we have Jesus' response that this blindness was not the result of anyone's particular sin. It was so the works of God might be displayed in him. What if we began to view our hardships and our lives through this gospel lens? What kind of glory might we bring to God if the crosses we bear and the tribulations that we face point to his goodness, point to his care, and point to his mercy. This brings us to our final point this evening, a procedure performed. Verse 6 reads, Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Can you imagine being this blind man? I bet he never saw that one coming. Like, like, I know, I know, poor pun. But, but Jesus literally spits on the ground. He makes this mud. And then he rubs it in this guy's eyes. Think of the faith that this man must have exhibited. 
Even more so, as we see in verse 7, Jesus tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This blind man had just had his eyes anointed with spit mud, and now Jesus tells him to go to this specific pool and wash himself. Try to place yourself in this man's shoes for a moment. Can you imagine what this walk must have been like? What must have been racing through his mind? How far away was the pool? I don't know about you, but I can't make it through the living room between all the furniture and all the kids' toys all over the place in the dark, let alone walking through the streets of Jerusalem. This guy receives the mud. He, he hears the command. And pay attention to this. He actually does it. He listens. He obeys. Friend, do you have this kind of faith this evening? Pray to God for this kind of faith because only he can grant it. I think there's an awful lot that we can learn about the Christian life this evening by looking carefully at our brother in this passage. And I say brother because, spoiler alert, he believes in and worships Christ later in the chapter. He receives a remedy that is foolish by the world's standards, something that could possibly even further damage his, his already shot eyes, and makes the trek to the Pool of Siloam because he knows his condition and he knows his desperation. And Jesus is offering this man so much more than just his sight. Jesus is offering him hope. And what is the result? Well, the end of verse 7 tells us, So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus did what he said he was going to do because Jesus is who he said he was. As John tells us at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it jesus spit in the dirt and made mud to rub in this man's eyes because he is god and all of creation is his everything was made through him he is the great i am and he is life and that life is the light of men this is the power of our great Savior this evening. This is who we are worshiping tonight. Surely, there, there was no power in the mud or the water of the pool. It was all of Christ. God made us from the dust of the earth all the way back in Genesis 1. And Christ is simply using the dust of the earth in our passage this evening to restore this man's sight. This is an object lesson. Our God uses means, and only he can heal and save the blind. So what hardships are you facing this evening, Little Farms? Are you showing those around you the mighty works of God in your life as he brings you through these hardships? Whatever your hardships might be, are you bringing them to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Now remember, Christ doesn't always enable us to escape the hardships of this life. We're never promised that. But he provides meaning for them. You see, we're, we're not created in vain and our suffering is not in vain. It's all for his purposes. So turn to Christ. 
Only he can bring the healing and salvation that you're searching for. Only he can provide the cure for your sin and adversity. And only he can give you this gospel perspective. Now, friend, maybe you're sitting here this evening thinking about asking this mighty Savior for help. This one that can even bring sight to the blind. If that's you, what are you waiting for? His grace is sufficient for you, and he will save for eternity those who confess him. What could possibly be more urgent? If you'd like to talk to someone, please feel free to reach out either to myself or any of the brothers and sisters here this evening. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. But brothers and sisters, know this Savior, God incarnate, the one who can restore sight even to the blind because he is master over all of creation. And know his peace, a peace that overcomes any of the ravages this world can throw at us, be it blindness or some diagnosis or the ire of a godless society, even death itself. Because this peace exists completely outside of ourselves and is holy in this Jesus, the one who conquered death on the cross to pay for our sins. So turn to Jesus. Know his peace. May God grant it. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we adore you as our mighty creator, maker of all things. We praise you for for loving us and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our suffering. We thank you that you care for us in such a way even when we sin against you. Forgive us for sinning against you and your law. Forgive us for our haughtiness in thinking that we can understand the things of you when such knowledge is too wonderful for us, too high for us to attain it. Father, please forgive us for counseling others who bear your image in a way contrary to your purposes. Forgive us for for not turning to you when we should. Thank you for for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that, that you are God and that you heal. Thank you most of all for being the God who saves us by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that, that those who believe in Christ as their Lord and Savior are adopted as your sons and daughters. That we can look forward to an eternity with you apart from sin and suffering altogether. Please help us to view our sufferings and the sufferings of those around us through this gospel lens. Help us to point others to Christ through these lenses. Father, help us to surrender and submit to you even when the circumstances of life seem too hard or insurmountable. Please save us from ourselves. Help us to obey you and suffer as those living in the reality of those being saved by Jesus Christ. May we, like our brother in this story, point others to you. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. And all God's people said, Amen.